Hello and welcome to Write Up Your Algae, the top science podcast in the valley until proven otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been this week, Clara? Uh, Would you say you're barely holding it together? I would, and I hope we're talking about bears today, Emily. Almost. What? <laughs> today we're talking about water bears. Or moss piglets. That is one that I didn't know about until my research this week, but most accurately known as tardigrades. Ooh, I think I've only heard of water bears maybe once. I'm really? guessing they're not an actual bear. They are not an actual bear, okay. although they bear a tiny bit of resemblance. <laughs> vaguely, vaguely bear shaped. The, the puns are already unreal. <laughs> and, we're, crazy. and we're just getting started. <laughs> Wait till we do an actual bear episode. <laughs> Tardigrades are a 0.1 to 1.2 millimeters long, or about the size of a standard period dot, that inhabit a wide variety of environments around the world, from sand to salt or freshwater, or mosses and plants. Tardigrades look like a wad of chewed gum, to be honest. <laughs> But really, they're a plump-looking, eight-limbed organism, each limb unjointed and ending with several sharp claws. Mm. They grow by molting and are made up of a hydrostatic skeleton. Do you know what a hydrostatic skeleton is? No. Oh, it's a, um, so they're pretty common if you're going to look into, like, worms and stuff, which I guess maybe is just something biology students would be looking more at. So it's basically a fluid-filled cavity, so it's not held together by bones. It's held together by the pressure of the fluid that Interesting. makes up their cavity. Herbivorous tardigrades have a structure called a stylet that they spear into plant and algal cells and suck out the contents, which is kind of an interesting image. Some tardigrades can be predatory, and they can eat things like rotifers, nematodes, and even other tardigrades. So they're cannibals. They can be. Ooh. I feel like that's a common thing in the animal kingdom. Definitely. And I feel like the smaller the animal you get, the more, the more likely they are to eat each other. <laughs> Yeah. I know some bears eat each other. Really? Yeah. That's, like, common? No. Oh. <laughs> they just do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, people do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're desperate. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is a more established part of their diet than, you know, oh. if they're under stressful conditions kind of thing. Do you think it's, like, more of, like, it can just be any type of, what is it, tardigrade? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of different species of tardigrade. I'm actually going to get into it a little. Tardigrada refers to a phylum, and okay. all tardigrades are a part of this phylum, which is pretty wide when you think about it, okay. because it just goes kingdom yeah. phylum. So it's a pretty wide umbrella. Like I said earlier with their sizes, though, so they, they have a pretty big range of sizes, especially in the difference between a juvenile and an adult. So, like, one is 0 0.01 to 1.2. So that's a, that's a pretty big difference, so... You know, you can see how one would be able to eat another one. Yeah. A lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> they were first described by the German zoologist Johann August Ephraim Gose in 1773. I didn't even know they had science back then. They sure did. And he called them Kleine Wasserba, or little water bear. <laughs> a bit of, bit of my one and a half German classes I've Let's taken go. getting in there, <laughs> coming through. In 1777, Italian biologist Lazzaro Spallanzani named them tardigrada, which means slow steppers. So he rediscovered the same thing three years later and was like, oh, now they're mine. 
I guess they didn't have as good commute. Things were getting <laughs> discovered all over, all at the same time. A lot of early scientists looked to pond water. You know, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. and when like microscopes started getting invented, and that was the first thing they looked at, and that's a really common and easy place to find them. So, and, and they're yeah, they're super common all over the world. So I feel like they were along with the invention of the microscope, all kinds of these uh, microfauna and microorganisms were all getting discovered, yeah. kind of in the same period of time. Mm-hmm. What makes tardigrades so fascinating? is their resilience, their ability to endure incredibly high levels of desiccation, cold, and radiation. Interesting. I have a question. Maybe you're going to get to this. But one of the cool things I've been learning about different types of organisms is they can sometimes have antifreeze in them, and they activate that. Uh, Not like, it's like an antifreeze-like solution, Mm -hmm. and they kind of like activate that in their blood, and then that's how they can stay alive over like, like, the winter and stuff so is it something similar to that it is not actually although that is a really interesting topic i know a lot of fish use that yeah yeah because i know fungi can do that as well really yeah interesting well fungi fungi can do all kinds of stuff (laughs) they're able to accomplish this through cryptobiosis which has two forms there's cryobiosis in which they can slow down their metabolism to endure freezing and anhydrobiosis where they dry out to endure desiccation and when they do this they enter what is referred to as a tune state that requires the synthesis of a protective sugar known as trehalose which moves into the cells and replaces the lost water allowing for them to be particularly resilient to drought in this state they're essentially an incredibly resilient like dried out ball they just like up interesting are completely devoid of water tardigrades can also survive well over one kilogram of gamma rays in both their tuned state and regular state but some studies have shown that there's a higher tolerance in the tuned state it's kind of there's a bit of discrepancy between different studies so what do scientists do when they hear something can survive desiccation and radiation what's the next logical step you send that shit to space. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, though. <laughs> In 2007, K. Ingmar Johansson et al., during 10 days at low Earth orbit, sent samples of desiccated adult eutardigrades of the species Richtersius coronifer and Milnesium tardigradum and were exposed to space vacuum and two different UV radiation spectral ranges. UVA and UVB, and the full UV range from vacuum UV to UVA. And while I wish I could say their findings were that these tardigrades are the resilient superheroes that they seem to be, only three specimens of M. tardigradum survived the full extent of the radiation, with one being able to be revived from its dormant state. As well, only one specimen of R. coronifer survived, but was not able to be revived from the dormant state, and no juveniles appeared from any of the eggs exposed. However, just being in the space vacuum alone, without the effects of radiation, had no effect on the tardigrades or the eggs. They were completely fine. Interesting. So desiccation, they're good for it. Yeah. It's the radiation that they're maybe not as good as some people think. Yeah, well, I feel like you can't just expose them to... But some still lived of a particular species. Could they reproduce after? Uh, None of the eggs were viable and I think they said that, like, a couple days after, they did eventually pass away. Okay. So it's pass away. Died. <laughs> but 
But, you know, I mean, that's still, it's still pretty impressive. Yeah. And as of 2007, only lichens and some species of bacteria have been able to survive space exposure. And this puts tardigrades on the short list of organisms able to complete this feat and the only member of Kingdom Animalia. Fun fact, 3,000 dehydrated tardigrade specimen were on board the Israeli shuttle that crashed into the moon in 2019. <laughs> and when asked about it, one of the, like, heads or presidents or something says that he thinks they're probably still there and probably just in their in their tuned state, chilling. They'll probably never be retrieved <laughs> to, be, to know for sure, but they're there on the moon. <laughs> to answer the question that everybody's wondering yes we have aliens and yes they exist and they are in our solar system and they are sleeping on the moon and they are sleeping on the moon as we speak right now (laughs) currently would you say 29 of them oh no (laughs) 3,000 3,000 aliens in space okay guys and they're watching us from the moon be aware okay (laughs) so what other conditions (laughs) What other conditions do you think tardigrades can endure, Clara? Can they withstand fire? We'll actually get into that, because that's a big misconception that I found. (laughs) So, um... Because they are called water bears, you know? Yeah. So I just assumed they would turn into stone or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to get into the opposite end of the spectrum. First, we're going to go into what kind of cold can they withstand? Well, in Japan, a moss sample containing tardigrades from Antarctica was kept at negative 20 degrees Celsius for 30 years, and they were able to be rehydrated and survive. This is not to say that this is easy for tardigrades. A positive relationship was found between time in cryptobiosis and recovery time, because they do endure some form of cellular and DNA damage in this time. And during recovery, they may not have full use of all their organs for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. One of these specimen in this Japanese study hatched from its egg six days after rehydration, and this individual commenced oviposition from the age of eight days, although the hatching success of the eggs produced were low. So they were able to survive, they were able to reproduce, but the reproduction rate was, you know, not as successful, but still able to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. One thing I saw was lots of more newsy articles, National Geographic, that kind of realm, saying that tardigrades could survive, like, you know, they'd list off all the things that they can survive. They can live in space. They can live in... Which is, you know... Sure they can. Semi-accurate, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, one lived for a bit out of however many in space. So it's, you know, not the most accurate thing to say. But a lot of them would say that they can survive in boiling water. And while they can be found in places like around hydrothermal vents, lab studies have found that any sort of long-term exposure to boiling water would be 100% fatal to tardigrades. They cannot survive in boiling water. Sorry to ruin the fantasy that these are, like, indestructible, immortal beings, but um, they cannot. (laughs) However, short-term, they can withstand some higher temperatures than maybe some other animals would be able to, but no, they can't live in boiling water. So can they, is there, like, a certain level that they can live up to like i know sometimes like extreme uh like microorganisms can live up to like 70 degrees and like still be fine or whatever is there like a temperature optima that they can survive at i didn't find their optimal temperatures but i mean i would say it can get pretty high considering they live near hydrothermal vents but no i didn't find like the actual optimal range of temperatures that they like to hang out at now in a 
interesting study, to say the least, to see, scientists wanted to see how high an impact tardigrades can withstand. So what do you do if you are a scientist and you want to find out how high an impact can this organism withstand? Like, in terms of pressure? In terms, yeah, in terms of, of, of shock pressure. Let me see. If I was a scientist. Mm-hmm. Some scientists do some really weird things. So if I was a scientist and I wanted to see how much pressure they could withstand, I'd put them into, like, a container mm-hmm. and, like, kind of, like, suck the air, like, slowly out of it mm-hmm. and then seeing how much they can take before they, like, explode. Well, not if you're Alejandra Trepas and Mark J. Burchell because they decided to shoot tardigrades out of a gun. What? Okay, <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. Whose idea was this? <laughs> like, who was like, yes. Mark and Alejandra. Sorry, no. <laughs> why? <laughs> My question is, why? Are you sure they're scientists? Or they got they... published on, on, what is it, Science Direct. <laughs> In 2021, researchers shot two to three tardigrades in a tuned state at a sand target at speeds of roughly 0.5 to 1 kilometer per second. Like, okay, yeah, but also, what's the point? (laughs) (laughs) It was found that around an impact speed of 0.75 and below, survival rate was 100%, but at around 0.8 kilometers per second, survival rate began to drop, becoming zero at around 0.9 kilometers per second. But of course. (laughs) Anyways, the last (laughs) final and what I think is the coolest tardigrade study that I wanted to bring up is from 2020. Indian researchers sourced local tardigrade species and put them under a germicidal UV lamp and hit them with one kilojoule per square meter, which kills bacteria and roundworms after about five minutes. This was lethal for tardigrades as well after about 15 minutes, except for some particular reddish-brown tardigrades. So they upped the UV lamp to about four times the initial power, and they tried again, and still about 60% survived this time. It was 100% before of these particular reddish-brown ones. The researchers realized that this was a new species of paramacrobiotis genus tardigrades. They had found these particular tardigrades in moss growing from a concrete wall. Under UV light, this species became blue. Using fluorescent pigments, tardigrades turned the harmful UV rays into blue light. They think as an adaptation to the extra UV rays that they would be getting living in a country like India. So this was an adaptation that these particular tardigrades had came up with. And next, the researchers decided to again do something kind of (laughs) weird. And they extracted the pigments and painted other tardigrades, tardigrades from other species with Mm -hmm. these pigments, as well as earthworms. Then they exposed them to the same UV lamp and found that the survival rates doubled by just giving them this pigment. That's insane. I know! See, that is... That is... That's the coolest one to me. Yeah. They actually showed really cool pictures of the, you know, their reddish brown before and then they turn blue because they've activated their their fluorescent pigments. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Anyways, now we're going to move on to our favorite part of the episode. Wait, before oh. we start, I have a question. Oh, what is your question? How, like, in when in evolutionary time did these little guys come into play? I definitely saw this, but I didn't write it down. Um, I know that they were one of the first 
one of the first animals to evolve on land. Okay. I know that. They were around that period. I don't know much about the... I always get confused talking about time periods. So it seems like it's been about 600 million years. Okay. Anyway, so let's move on to trivia. Trivia. Yeah. We need a theme song for that, I think. I think we do. Yeah. Maybe that can just be it. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to re-record this in a studio. And, like, I'm going to pay some guy, like, $1,000 to, like, record you singing it. Mm, yeah. And, like, auto-tune the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> we can use that for literally everything. Oh, that's such a good plan. We'll just make Emily the voice of this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. A water bear is a protostome. This means, A, a tardigrade can be born from both sexual and asexual reproduction. B, in development, the mouth is the first part of the tardigrade that forms. C, the tardigrades can halt development until conditions are optimal while inside the egg. And D, the water bear will die if it doesn't reproduce. What was the term again? Protostome. It can Halt reproduction. Halt development while yeah. inside the egg. Damn. So a protostome means that the mouth develops first. That was literally my second guess. Yeah. Although some of the other facts that I do have here are true. A tardigrade can be born from both sexual and asexual reproduction. Yeah. They can also perform, uh, they also have hermaphrodism. So the asexual reproduction is just self-fertilization. Okay. And they can also do parthenogenesis. Um, they won't die if they don't reproduce. <laughs> no, I didn't think that one was it. <laughs> Although I think some, like, weasels, that happens too. <laughs> Which is weird. And I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bonus points for redemption. What is the word for an organism whose anus forms first? It's a protostome. So what is, what is the opposite of this? It's kind of funny. I, I have a funny way of remembering it, because I had to remember this for animal biology. I honestly have no idea, but if I'm just going to take a guess, it's going to be um, terminal anus. I don't know. <laughs> it's a deuterostome, and I used to be like, doo-doo means the butt comes oh first. God, That's how I remembered. Anyways, which is a human? Is a human a deuterostome or a protostome? I hope it's a deuterostome. We are a deuterostome. There is a point in our development where we are just a butt. Bonus points for Clara. <laughs> we need someone to track what all of her points are. What is the maximum non-long-term temperature tardigrades can survive in? Oh, sorry. I said the maximum, but what is the range that tardigrades can survive in? A, negative 275 to 150 degrees Celsius. Again, this is non-long-term, just short-term exposure. Okay. Around negative 125 degrees Celsius to 210 degrees Celsius. Around negative 75 degrees Celsius to 120 degrees Celsius or 100, oh, sorry, or negative 120 degrees Celsius to 170 degrees Celsius. So I just have a question. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So when they put them into the space, did they actually just, like, throw them into space? You don't think they just, like... They were in space when they did it, but I think they used a sort of chamber. I'm, I would have to check up on that. Okay. So they weren't, like, directly in space. They were in a vacuum. They were... Hmm. I'm not sure. Because this would help me solve my issue that I'm having. Do you know the temperature of space? Yes. What's the temperature of space? 270, like, 5 degrees. That's absolute zero. Oh, yeah. So So I think it was that one. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You you got it. So they can survive at at around negative 275 degrees Celsius to around 150 degrees Celsius. That's what I figured. I was like... So maybe they were just straight up in space. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering, because, like, if you're in a vacuum of space, you're at absolute zero, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, you'd be frozen. Yeah. They have no problem with the cold. They're chilling in the cold. (laughs) How long do tardigrades live? Four weeks to two months, one year to three years, four months to two years, or six months to three years? Four months to three years? So it was either six months to three years or four months to two years. Four months to two years. Clara, ding, 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 all of them right today. Good <laughs> job. Except for the first one, but. Oh, yeah, except for the first. You, you got your redemption points. I'll count it. Okay, okay. Anyways, that has been this week's episode of Write Up Your Algae. I hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Rate and review. Only if you liked it. If you didn't like it, wow. go home. Turn it off. Don't listen again. We don't want you here. Or give us a go on an episode maybe you'd be more interested in. That too. That's There's no totally need to be fair. so hostile, Clara. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcast pretty well. And if you'd like to see any images that go along with our episodes, we post lots on our Instagram. You can find us at Write Up Your Algae Podcast. All lowercase, and it's one word. And if you have any, like, maybe fun cool ideas that you want to hear on the podcast you can always email us at r-u-y-a podcast at outlook.com and it's all one word all lowercase letters we hope this episode was right up your algae